1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Father, do give us young hearts like we've seen this morning, Lord, with the reading of the Bible verse and the singing here. Make us to be like the children you said we must be like in order to enter heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, and we're going to look now in Ruth chapter 2 of the last two verses in this chapter. Ruth chapter 2 and uh, verse 22 and 23, okay? So, if you got that, Ruth 2, 22, 23. Here they are. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she, this be Ruth, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. All right? Now, We know so far about Ruth that she has made a very serious vow, a very serious vow to the Lord, and the time has come now for Ruth to live up to her vow. I mean, what was her vow? It was back in the first chapter there, verse 16, where we read those famous words. Entreat, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. And the most important thing she said was, and thy God, my God. That was a vow. That was a vow that Ruth made there when she said, thy God, my, th- thy God, my God. See, when Ruth made that vow, she became obligated to live up to that vow. And that was very important. When Ruth vowed that Naomi's God was gonna be her God, she was saying that she was going to serve Naomi's God. And if Ruth was gonna live up to that vow for Naomi's God to be her God, then she had to live a certain life, which is what we're gonna talk about. And what we see in Ruth is what it really looks like for a person who vows that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be his God. She gives us the full picture. She gives us the three-dimensional look here. So in Ruth, we see that what it means to serve God with a certain life. Our vow that we have made that the Lord Jesus Christ is gonna be our God is a vow to serve him. Okay, now Ruth's call to serve God was a call for her to, to live a certain life with regard to the world. The call of service was a call to a life Of separation. This was the separation. I just said the word separation. That's not a popular subject today. There's not many churches still standing by this message of separation from the world. The call to separation involves both a from and a to. The call of separation is a call to separate from the world, but the call of separation is a call to separate to God, from the world to God. No one can separate from the world unless they are going to God. And no one can come to God unless they are willing to separate from the world. And Ruth realized this, that when she came to the God of Israel, that she came to a new standard of separation from the world of immorality in Moab, which was opposed. So she came to this new standard and she saw it's totally opposed to the old standard of Moab that she was raised in. Ruth's new standard of separation, it had already separated her from her Moabite sister-in-law Opa Orpah, who turned back. She turned back. Why did she turn back? Why did Orpah Orpa turn away from Naomi and back into the back into perdition in Moab? Probably because Orpa counted the cost of, of keeping God's standard of, of a life of separation. See, Orpa and Ruth, they both saw that to live a life of separation would mean that they would have to be separated from their families, they would have to be separated from their old friends. Both of them saw that if they were going to serve Jehovah Jesus, it's going to mean a life of separation. And both Orpah and Ruth knew that the call to a life of separation was a call that would result in either a rise and stand for God or a drop and fall away from God. So hearing the call from the Jewish scriptures, which they had, the call of separation, Orpah she dropped and fell away from God. But hearing the same call of the Jewish scriptures, Ruth rose and stood to come to God. And that's the way it is for you and I. You and I are either gonna rise and fall to come to God or we're gonna drop and fall away from God. And it's not from what Tom Cantor says, but from the same Jewish scriptures that they had. Seeing this, seeing God's call to separation, It made a big impact, made an impact on my life as I've been sitting here studying about Orpah and how she dropped and fell away from separation from the world versus Ruth who stood up and rose, stood up as we separated herself from the world to come to God. It's so relevant for us today because never before has the subject of separation been more relevant, been more opposed to the trend of Christian teaching and living than today. So that's what we want to see in these next two verses in Ruth here, in these verses, chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, is how Ruth met with and obeyed this call to a separated life. I mean, what does a separated life look like? Here's what it looks like. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. It says, Ruth the Moabite said, He said also unto me, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. Now notice the next verse, and Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they mate thee not in any other field. See, in verse 21, Ruth had told Naomi that she'd been told by Boaz to keep fast by my young men. And evidently, Ruth had kept fast by Boaz's young men. But notice how in the next verse, in verse 22, Naomi says, no, she says, Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens. See, Ruth, she was probably doing what Boaz had told her to do, and which was to stay by the young men. But Naomi sees Ruth, sees Ruth, she's what, you, what, you, a young, beautiful woman, staying close by young men. And and with that, Naomi sees red lights, sirens, alarms going off. And (laughs) she said, no. She said, even if Boaz told you to stay close by those young men, I say, no. It's good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens. See, Naomi was saying to Ruth, forget about it. You're not to stay close with those young men. I don't care if Boaz did tell you to stay close to those young men. I say to you, You stay away from those young men. They're trouble. And you go out with the maidens. Now, maybe Ruth, you know, would say, but I like some of those young men. You know, some of them, they like me. They smile at me. They're nice to me. Boaz said I should stay close to them. I like the attention they give me. They don't look so bad. But Naomi would say, no. She said, remember that when I call you my daughter, that I love you so I rebuke you. And I'm telling you that you should not stay close by the young men, but you should only go out with the maidens. And here was a big choice for Ruth. And we see that Ruth is really now caught in the middle. Because on the one hand, Boaz has told her, stay close by the young men. The young men probably seemed to like her. She was a young woman. But on the other hand, Naomi had rebuked Ruth and told her, nothing doing. You stay separated from the young men. Now, this was a call for Ruth, for a separation. And so what we have here is a beautiful picture that's so relevant to us because it's the crossroads of separation or no separation. It's also a beautiful and relevant picture for us of rebuke and the response to rebuke because that's what makes verse 23 so important, so wonderful because it shows that Ruth made a decision And so it says in verse 23, so she kept fast by the maidens in Boaz to glean after the the barley harvest and the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Hallelujah for Ruth. Ruth's decisions. This is Ruth's triumph. This is Ruth's reception of the rebuke. And it's seen in the words, so she kept fast by the maidens. I mean, Ruth had wonderfully, she received this rebuke From Naomi. She denied herself to obey Naomi. And the greatness of these words is seen in verse 24 when it says, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz. Now, when Naomi rebuked Ruth, it was with love because she started off her rebuke by calling Ruth my daughter. And this is exactly what Paul did when he rebuked the Corinthians. Please turn to it. It's a great separation passage. 2 Corinthians 6.11. 2 Corinthians 6.11. If you turn to that, because here we have Paul rebuking the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6:11. And we gain a lot of principles out of this passage here in 2 Corinthians 6:11 through18, where we read, "O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. You are not straightening at us, but you are straightening your own bowels. Now for a recompense of the same, I speak as unto my children." Oh, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? My daughter, my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. These words are the strongest personal plea that Paul has made to any of the churches. Paul's about to rebuke the Corinthians for something that's very, very heavy on his heart. It's really burdened Paul down. But before he does, Paul just bursts out with this opening of his heart to them when he says in verse 11, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. He says, our mouth is open unto you, which just means I'm holding back nothing. I'm letting it all come out. I'm gonna say everything that is in my heart, I'm gonna let it out. See, in Matthew, it says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so Paul says why his mouth was open to them with this next statement. Our heart is enlarged. His heart was enlarged because of this great love that he had for the Corinthians. Naomi's heart was enlarged because of the great love that she had for Ruth. And this shows the importance here of rebuking in love. These two statements of an open mouth and an enlarged heart shows us the importance of how rebuke and love have got to go like this. they got to go hand in hand. To rebuke without love is just cruel. To love without rebuking is just hatred. See, and Paul is showing how to rebuke and love when he says, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. And when Naomi rebuked Ruth to be separated from the men, when Paul rebuked the Corinthians to be separate from the world, it was both hard-hitting and heart-searching. So when Naomi rebukes Ruth, She did it with a largeness of heart. Naomi received this largeness of heart of love from God, just as King Solomon received the same largeness of heart of love from God. See, it's this largeness of heart that's so important. And God knew that if Solomon was going to be a wise teacher, if he was going to be a man of understanding, and if he was going to be an effective instructor to the Jewish people of Israel, that he needed to have with his wise wisdom, with his wise teaching, he needed to have a largeness of heart. And he needed to have, with his understanding, to instruct a largeness of heart. And so God gave to Solomon this largeness of heart. And it says in 1 Kings 4.29, nine. First Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, exceeding much, and largeness of heart. Largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. I remember one time hearing a person say that when they were in grammar school, that of all the teachers, they remembered one because at the end of every class, that teacher hugged all the students. Largeness of heart. All the world recognized that Solomon was a man of great understanding. They all did. They all recognized his wisdom and they were all drawn to Solomon for his wisdom and his understanding, as it says in 1 Kings 10, 23, 1 Kings ten twenty three. so King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches and wisdom, and all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Why did all the earth seek to Solomon to hear his wisdom? Because they knew that Solomon, yes, he had wisdom, but he also had a heart of love, a largeness of heart, and that made them open to Solomon and that's what made Ruth open to Naomi when she called her my daughter. She called her my daughter. That's a largeness of heart. So that teaches us, before we rebuke anyone, we have to ask God for a largeness of heart. We have to make sure that it's coming from a heart of love for the person. And remember what Paul said here in 2 Corinthians 6.11 when he says, I've got an open mouth of rebuke. My mouth is open unto you, but I have an enlargement of heart, a large heart of love with a heart that's enlarged. Because if our rebuke is not motivated by a large heart of love, then don't open the mouth. Don't open the mouth of rebuke. But Paul and Naomi, they both had this open mouth of rebuke and they had it in a large heart of love. Because the hearers, they not only hear the words of rebuke, they feel the love that comes from the heart. And so the Corinthians. They not only heard Paul's words of rebuke, but they felt Paul's love from his heart. And the same was with Ruth. Ruth, she didn't hear Naomi's words of rebuke, but she felt Naomi's love for an enlarged heart. And then notice how Paul made sure the Corinthians felt his heart of love with the first two words of his rebuke when he says, oh, ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. See, those words, oh, ye Corinthians, it's like uh, like I was telling you about that teacher. When he says, oh, ye Corinthians, it's like Paul is hugging everyone of the Corinthians, each of the Corinthians with their disgraceful, sinful activity, you know, including the sin of fornication with the father's wife, which Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.1. 1 Corinthians 5.1 it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. You know, that was Reuben's sin. That was the sin of Reuben. Genesis 35, 22, it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilha, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. So the firstborn of Jacob, Reuben, from whom came the tribe of Reuben, he was guilty of this shameful sin, fornication with his father's wife. And this was the sin of the Corinthian church. And Paul comes to them with his rebuke, but he starts off, he says, oh, ye Corinthians. See, when Paul says, oh, ye Corinthians, our heart is enlarged, he's embracing each one of them, even the ones who are guilty of fornication with the father's wife. And now is the time for each of us, if we read something like this, is to take a check on our heart. I mean, here's the check. Can we do that? Can we do what Paul did, love the sinners and make them feel that love? Or do we hate the sinners like Pastor Roger Jimenez at the Baptist Church, the Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento, who told his congregation, and it's all over the YouTube, it was good that the 50 homosexuals were killed. It's sad that they weren't all killed, and the government should line them all up and kill all the homosexuals. That's not exactly Paul's heart. To have the heart of Paul is to rebuke over the sin of homosexuality, but to have an enlarged heart For the homosexuals and to love the homosexuals and to have compassion on the homosexuals and to pray for the recovery of the homosexuals. Now, Naomi, she could have taken the position of tolerance. She could have just said to Ruth, Well, what does it matter if Ruth stays close by the young man, goes out with them? But that's not God's call to a separated life. See, a separated life means to toe the line, it means to live by God's standards. And a person can't be dedicated to God without being separated from the world. You can't do it. Separation requires discernment. It requires a discernment to be able to see what's good and what's evil. You know, this explains why so many Christians today are living non-separated lives from the world. They just don't see anything wrong with the world. It's like, what's wrong with that? They, They don't have, it's a lack of discernment. If a Christian doesn't have discernment to discern the evil that's in the world, then he's not going to separate himself from the world. So how do you get discernment? Okay, so let's say, okay, fine. I mean, I need discernment. How do you get discernment? Hebrews 5.12 tells us how. Hebrews 5.12. It says, for when the time, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the principles of the first oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, the Bible calls the word of God, it calls it the word of righteousness, And a person who is unskillful unskillful in the Bible is a person who only sees the first principles of the oracles of God, which is that Christ died for my sins, and he's still a baby. He's a baby Christian. But a person who is skillful in the Word of God is a person who is a full age as a Christian, and he eats strong meat of the Word of God, and this person is able to apply the Word of God into their lives, as it says, who by reason of use, that's applying the word of God, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, gaining good senses to discern the evil that's in the world works like this. The more I saturate my life with the word of God and practice the word of God by the power of the indwelling spirit of God, the more my spiritual senses become exercised and I can see what I didn't see before. I can discern both good and evil, saturation and practice, saturation and practice of the Word of God. That leads a person to pray something like this, oh, God, I want a discernment. I want a discernment of mind to see the evil in the world. I want to be separate from the world because without saturation and practice, there's no discernment of the evil that's in the world. There's no separation from the evil in the world. Learning and memorizing the Word of God, that's the first step of saturation.